Welcome to the last Wednesday of the week, the multi-tool of sports podcasts, where we bring you our journey through the week in sport and look back at what's been happening. We sometimes get stuck into some meaty middles and we take a future gaze to the week ahead in sport. On this week's show, after two weeks back-to-back of very unusual shows kicking off season three with an NFL crossover with our friends over on Shutdown Coverage, followed by our Andrew Benson, BBC's chief F1 writer, uh, interview last week, we are back to the three. We're back to a trio, the opposite of what happens in Lion King in that famous song. Our trio is back to three, and it's glorious. Hi, hi everyone. Sorry, I was thrown ever so slightly by the reference to the Lion King. I didn't really understand you got it. You got it, right? You got um, it. No, I, 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 you started making me think about trio chocolate bars, which were very, very popular when I were a boy. Um, shout out to all the mid-30s listeners out there. I do not but recall yes. the trio. You don't remember tri- trio, trio, that one? No? no? Come on. No, I don't. Come on, guy. Anyway, hi everyone. I'm back. Yeah, welcome nice back. Nice to see you. Uh, we missed you. Uh, ben, hi again. Yeah, we did miss Simon. Uh, also, uh, the the classic 90s uh, confectionaries was the Fuse Bar. Mm. It was like a raisiny kind of, of option. Mm. Big fan of that. Uh, obviously, times change. Uh, yeah, Simon back. Episode three, season three on the 23rd. Oh, I just, it's all good times. I know we messed it up, really, didn't we? We should have done like... I don't know, season two, episode yeah. two or something. Maybe we should ask uh, our, our listeners, I was about to say customers then, is that the right word, <laughs> customers? Uh, if they know what an ambigram, yeah. <laughs> if they know what a palindrome and an ambigram are for, uh, for yesterday. Yeah, well, Simon, do you know what a palindrome and an ambigram is? Well, I just want to say, guys, I have put a £5 free bet on Cameron Archer to score tonight. So that's what I'm going to say. And just to completely ignore your question. <laughs> there you go so a palindrome is actually a bet (laughs) yeah a wayward bet Uh, there is rotational symmetry in the date of course that we are recording this not the day it's going out but it's a very exciting event uh, for calendar and time geeks because it will never happen again um so there you go Oh, Why are you confused wow. by that, Ben? I was going to question if it was going to happen again. I was going to say, what about the 33rd of March? And then realized that <laughs> unless they change the calendar, uh, yeah. we won't get a 33rd of March. So yeah. don't listen to me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on then. Let's get back to sport stuff we do know things about. Um, and we're going to get back to our roots being the multi-tool of sports podcasts. And we're going to get stuck across well, just about every sport looking at this list I have in front of me. Uh, before we crack on, don't forget to find us across Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, wherever else you listen to your pods. Do follow us, like us, tell your friends, give us a review, rate us. It really, really does help us. So if you're listening and you've got a free spare minute, just do one of those things and it helps us spread the good word of multi-sports podcasting. Thank you very much for that. And find us on Twitter and Instagram at Wednesday Pod. Uh, ben. Let's start with you. Um, where are you going to take us first? Because we've had a bit of a journey over the last year and a bit with um, Novak Djokovic. Um, like very early on in our podcasting 
the, the beginning of the dynasty, <laughs> we uh, we talked about the big three, him being one, and now recently we've been talking about like what what's happening to this guy, and of course it came to a bit of a crescendo towards the end of season two with us and the uh, Australian Open, but he seems to be back. Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't know if did you, did you know Novak's name before we started the podcast journey. I, I did, yes. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> Novak Djokovic. Maybe he was popular and famous before uh, he became a meme. Um, before we championed maybe... him, the underdog, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I mean, I, I, as a tennis player, he has to be championed. He is uh, world class and has been for many years now and will probably continue to be into the future. Um, he's back playing tennis, okay? Uh, thankfully, he's not locked up in a uh, jail cell in Australia anymore. Uh, he's over in Dubai. Obviously, the, the land of opportunity for people with big pocketbooks. He defeated the Italian uh, Lorenzo Massetti uh, in straight sets. Uh, clearly, he's been sort of keeping in shape. He was actually looking really good. I think it was six, two, six, three, something like that. Uh, very confident, clearly fit, healthy. Next match is against the Russian uh, Kashinov, who's a great player at the moment in a really good position. So that's going to be a tricky match. Um, now, that's all good and well, uh, and the reason obviously, I want to mention a little bit about him is, is what's interesting is last week he said in a BBC interview uh, that he will continue to choose his own beliefs over winning any more Grand Slams. Obviously, that has huge ramifications, not just on his overall record tally. You know, there was this competition against Nadal and Rafa. Rafa, Rafa Nadal is now 21, Rogers 20 uh, alongside Djokovic, but also on his bank balance. Okay, sponsors want to see Novak Djokovic in the majors. People aren't tuning in to the Dubai Tennis Classic or the Tennis Championships. They want to see the best players at the best majors. Now, I read something that I want to sort of uh, share this with you. Um, I think it's sort of fair to say that it was fair of us to explain that uh, Novak is vehemently against putting anything in his body. Okay, and there was a uh, an article in The Guardian, it was called Novak Djokovic's propensity for self-sabotage is becoming his defining trait. I like this, Tumaini Karayov. Um, anyway, he mentioned this though, in 2018, get this, when Novak was managed by Andre Agassi, he had an elbow injury. He'd been carrying this elbow injury for about six months, about a year, from the previous season. Uh, Agassi said, you need surgery on this, it will not heal itself. Novak Djokovic, Djokovic refused, disagreed, instead took six entire months off playing tennis, completely resting, because he had this innate belief that his body was able and built to heal itself naturally. It was not. Uh, <laughs> he came back playing in Spoiler. 2018. Spoiler, he had to have surgery. Okay, it turned out the only uh, option to get back playing to the level of tennis he plays is surgery. The quotation, though, from him was, I cried for days after committing to the surgery. That gives you an idea that Novak is not going to back down on this anytime soon. Do not expect Novak to get a COVID jab. Uh, Sai, do, do, you, do you think that's it now? Majors, he'll never do, or do you think the majors will accept him going forward? Um, well, first of all, I find it interesting. I wonder some, now... Uh... Obviously, it's very hard for us to know for certain, but um, you see a lot of athletes, a lot of, uh, you know, billionaires, millionaires and stuff that live within their own bubble, surround themselves with people that are likely to agree with them. Is this possibly in a way a kind of him 
not surrounding him, not, not, you know, giving himself the knowledge and everything else to actually make an informed decision and instead relying on his own possibly egotistical view that he knows best for himself, which as proven in your previous anecdote is entirely wrong. Um, but I'll let you ponder that one first and I'll answer your question. Um, I think he is doing this partly because, uh, as you said, he's on 20 uh, majors. Um, so his legacy of being one of the best is likely to, you know, to continue. And he will probably win over the next few years, kind of eke over the line and beat the other people you mentioned. So Federer and Adal. Um, however, his, as you say, propensity for self-sabotage is um, probably going to mean that he maybe doesn't beat it by as many as he actually potentially could have done. Um, so so that's why I kind of think about that. But what did you think about the question I posed? What's your thoughts? Uh, what was the question? I was just listening to your beautiful dulcet views. Listen, we missed you last week, and it's amazing to have you back. Um, it's an absolute pleasure. But you just have to repeat that again. I was just staring at your face. So, I mean, I can understand that. I mean, you're only human. Um, you have, you know, a pair of eyes. Um, but yeah, basically, in a nutshell, uh, does his surrounding himself maybe with people, uh, effectively yes, yes men and things of that nature, cause him to potentially be making decisions that are, as we've proven anyway, been detrimental to his career? And maybe he should get some outside advice to maybe give him more of a, a well-rounded view on, on the world, as it were. One may give that a name of the echo chamber, Ben. Oh, yes, his own tennis echo chamber. Now, interestingly, I've been talking about my uh, listening skills today, and obviously they're at work, <laughs> fine work this evening. Uh, I want to reference the last, that. last with... module at uni, isn't it, listening? <laughs> it's It's been a hard week, and it's it's only Wednesday. Uh, thankfully, it's the last of the week. Now, um, with regards oh. to... Uh, <laughs> are we allowed oh. to reference our own pod in our own pod? Is that yeah. is that good? good it's like when they say the, the title of a film in the film. Yeah, it is. It's isn't judgment it? Yeah, it day. Like, I don't yeah. like it. Okay, we'll leave that to Dan. Um, yeah, we're going to see on Netflix, The Serving to Survive, whatever the title is, we're going to see how incredibly close these tennis groups are. They rely on this, this uh, echo chamber's too light a word, a bubble, an orb of people around them. That's managers, players, um, sorry, uh, coaching staff, uh, family, friends, mm. uh, physios. They're all there. And yes, of course they're yes men. Of course they're going to do what it takes to get Novak Djokovic in the headspace that he needs to be. But I don't think that this is a case of he's surrounded by people. He's probably got people around him who've had three vaccinations already. In fact, I know he has. But mm. Novak is so steadfast in his beliefs it's admirable in a way. I mean, yes, I'm pro-vaccination, so obviously I sit on a different side of the fence to him, but clearly he's not backing, any down, backing down anytime soon. And it's going to be interesting to see if the majors will make some concessions. Okay, let's move on from one solo endeavour to another. Ben, let, you want to bring Snooker back onto the pod? Yeah, um, briefly because, uh, well, we're kind of in the midst of the Triple Crown season, actually. So um, it's a good time to talk about snooker. But this is a story that I've read. Uh, I'm excited to watch this match coming up. And it's um, a young player called Ngon Yi. Uh, the female superstar, yes, female, is set to play Ali Carter in the first round of the Welsh Snooker Open later this week. She's now alongside Rianne Evans. Rianne Evans, who I talked about on the pod in season one, uh, as the only two female players to 
uh, beat men in uh, professional games. Okay. Uh, now, I think this is incredible for snooker because we've talked about snooker. What rules could be changed to get people into a sport that, let's be honest, is an example of the patriarch in a way. It's just so male-dominated. It's slow at times. It, is it great stuff all the time? No. Are some of the matches absolutely incredible? Yes. But we need to attract young talent, and that's young girls and boys to the sport. Um, so this is great stuff. I'll give you a match score next week, but I'm going to be watching this. Welsh Open, first round. Ali Carter, of course. Any snooker fans like myself will know he's a former, a former double world champion finalist getting beat by uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan on both occasions. So listen, I mean, Ali Carter's one of the legends of the game and he had his own health injuries, um, health troubles, I should say, uh, and he's back to fitness, which is good. So yeah, um, Snooker, tune in. Tune in. And um, let's move on from Snooker then, from 22 balls back to one. Uh, Football. We've managed to get this far into the pod without mentioning football. Um, Ben, the race is back on? Some race? Uh, I thought it was can football. I just said, it's not just this pod. We've actually managed to get this far into the season Correct. without talking about soccer. Okay. That's quite something, actually. About football on the podcast since a long, long time ago. Uh, Liverpool are back in the title race, Dan. Yes, Liverpool, the mighty, mighty Liverpool. Absolutely incredible weekend of, of Premiership football. Like, truly brilliant. I watched... A couple of matches, they were fantastic. Some of the highlights were unbelievable. City can be beat. Villa don't win any games now. I'm trying to sort of mm. want to pick size brain about that. And are we suddenly set in for the best relegation battle in the history of the Premier League? They all seem to... Burnley got a triple against Brighton the other day. Mm. Um, there's a game on Friday I'm actually going to. Uh, Southampton-Norwich uh, sold out because Southampton are actually winning games now, but also mm. because Dean, Dean Smith's doing a great job at Norwich. Can they get out of there? I don't know. I, th- I think the Premier League's incredible. Liverpool, of course, play Leeds um, Thursday, Wednesday, w- uh, one of the days this week. Um, and if they win, they're within three points of City. So in... In, in effect, in sort of mathematical um, exactness, Liverpool have the Premier League title in their own hands now because we, of course, play Manchester City. I just want to ask Sai a couple of questions about it. I want to say, first and foremost, can City lose the championship? I'm going to word it like that. Can City lose the Premier League? And tell me about Villa. Just give me maybe a couple of paragraphs on Villa. I don't really. I actually scrubbed uh, Steven Gerrard off my my show notes before we started this because I'm just not right in the right headspace to talk about this right now. Um, <laughs> I'll answer your second question first, and then I'll go on to the question I'm sure more people are interested in, which is the title race. Um, so yeah, Steven Gerrard, it's not not going very well at the moment. Some poor selections of players, horrendous substitutions. The team is playing really flat at the moment. They've got no invention, no idea. They're coming off uh, giving up two goals, uh, you know, just after being 3-1 up against Leeds, giving up two goals to draw 3-3. And then they've had a back-to-back 1-0 defeats against relegation candidates Newcastle, who for some reason Aston Villa lent their second-best left-back to, and um, to uh, Watford. Uh the Watford game especially was dreadful, but um, yeah, it's a horrible performance so far. And uh, I suppose Stevie Gerrard has to uh, take some of the blame for that. He's tried to, but um, I just feel like he's 
picking his favourites at the moment, and they are not rewarding him with good performances. Um, talking about the, the subject we talked, we were going to talk about much more interesting for the wider public um, title race. So, um, if I'm right in believing, it's six points now between Liverpool and Man City. Uh, Liverpool have a game in hand, though. I think you said uh, it's against Leeds, so have been pretty inconsistent, to put it nicely, or pretty bad, to be really honest. Um, and, you know, are in danger of being one of those teams that might slip into this relegation fight, along with Everton, who have not started the Frank Lampard era particularly well. I think they won one game, but they've lost two, so they're not doing so well either. Um, but, yeah, talking about the Premier League title race, yeah, Man City have it all to do. Uh, they are playing without a recognised striker for most of their uh, games now. And a lot of talk at the moment is about whether Man City made the wrong decision in the summer to bring in Jack Grealish and should have brought in instead um, Harry Kane. Uh, well, I mean, it's a nice, easy subject when you don't look at the details, but I suppose it's a whole different matter about actually getting Harry Kane to come and the money it would have taken. I'm pretty sure they would have tried their hardest to get him. But uh, I think they made a mistake not bringing a striker in. Um, but also there were some pretty bad mistakes of the weekend. And credit to Tottenham as well. They played quite well. Um, but yeah, Man City have got to tighten up a little bit. I still think they have the pedigree, they have the manager to to have another surge. And, you know, Liverpool have got to win their game in hand. You don't always, you know, you, you basically got to think that Liverpool would have to keep winning to catch up. Um, and there's not a guarantee in the Premier League that you will ever win. So um, it's an exciting race and it does add a bit of flavour. We don't want a team running away with it with 10 games left. I mean, we want... Um, some uh, you know excitement in that regard, but at the same time, I think it's still Man City's to lose. They just have to uh, stop making silly mistakes. Yeah, and the irony is that Kane scored the winner uh, for Spurs, mm. who beat City this weekend. Yeah, uh, Grealish has been poor at City, uh, mm. but maybe that's just because the likes of uh, Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, and Mares again now are just looking. World class. There's, there's no other word for it. Those those three players are world class, especially Bernardo Silva. I actually think he might be the best football player in our our British English league at the moment. Um, I think I think it, at half time that those two games it was really interesting because at half time in the City Spurs game I thought City were just going to steamroll Spurs mm. in the second half. City just they play such silky beautiful football and they were dominating Spurs and obviously it turned to this cracking second half and again with the Liverpool we were so flat in the first half Norwich come out of the second half score straight away we're 1-0 down 50 minutes gone but Klopp has got substitutions now Liverpool have never had substitutions well not until the Klopp era not in my lifetime of, of maybe in the 70s and 80s but we were able to bring in Thiago and Origi Origi not necessarily for the goals but for the formation change he was able to go up front and have the three behind of Mane uh, Luis Diaz and uh, Salah. But Thiago coming in, what a player. I mean, at times this guy looks like the world-class player he was um, at Barca and Bayern. Bayern um, really excited. I hope it goes down to the last couple of games. I, I think the Premier League and Premier League fans deserve it. Uh, it'll wreck my heart because I'll be apoplectic. That's a word, isn't it? Uh, towards the end. But um, listen, I mean, the Premier League title race is back on. The Premier League is brilliant and uh, there's loads of games this week. And maybe next week we'll actually talk about the fantasy football. The reason I say next week is uh, someone is reaching for the top, Dan. It's not you. Uh, well, it, it could have been. It could be. Let's leave. Let's not give any spoilers. Uh, let's move on for the Premier League. Let's talk about the Ivy League, Ben. What have okay. you got? Swimming? 
Yeah, interesting one. You turn your nose up at swimming, Dan. You, oh, so you... it wasn't turning my nose up. It was swimming from the Ivy League. Your, yeah, you've done your 1,500-meter badge. Uh, I did my mile, actually. Thank you. Is that on 1,500 meters? A little bit more. Oh, okay, right. You did slightly no, over maybe 1,500. It is. I don't know. I don't know what the conversion is. Listen, I don't know the conversions, really and I'm going to give you a story now in yards just to just to, <laughs> to to blow minds. Okay, this is really interesting and a story that needs to be discussed with a bit of tact. Okay, uh, Leah Thomas, Penn State's exceptionally talented swimmer, won the 500-yard freestyle, the 200-yard free and the 100-yard freestyle at Harvard's Blodgett Pool um, in the NCAA Championships. Blodgett, I really like that name, but Harvard anyway, we all know Harvard. Leah Thomas is a household name, okay, in America right now, not only because they've got this huge national love for collegiate sports, with which Cy gave an excellent description of way back in season one, I want to say, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but she's also a transgender woman who previously competed for the Penn state men's team now it's fair to say this polarizing debate has not been dealt with tact in america uh maybe they just don't deal with anything in tact in america or or maybe it's the situation uh column a and column b simon okay <laughs> yeah um <laughs> i just use a danism i'm so proud of myself um I want to give you a little bit of background, though. In December, Thomas launched into the public eye with a a really incredible performance in Ohio. There, she dominated the women's field in the 200-yard free, the 500, and the 1,650-yard freestyle. Maybe that's a mile. We'll go with that's a mile. Uh, Beating the second-place finisher by 7 seconds, 15 seconds, and 38 seconds, respectively, basically destroying the field. Her times are the fastest women's times in the nation this season. Okay. She's been undergoing hormone replacement therapy for three years now, and her times are nowhere near what they were before hormone treatments, okay? Yet still nearly half of her swimming cohort, if we can say, basically her her uni swimming mates at Penn State have written letters to state officials requesting rule changes. As of this moment, I understand from what I've read and seen online, she will not be allowed to compete at the national championships because there's slightly different rules around testosterone. But again, this is wholly unclear, truthfully unclear. You can can look into this and there just doesn't seem to be an exact line of, of how all these things work. I'm going to add a little bit of further fire to the debate before I want your honest views on this. The athlete she narrowly beat in the women's 100-yard final is a man called Isaac Hennig. He is currently transitioning from cisgendered female to male and uses male pronouns. Now, I'm only relaying the facts. My views on this are very, very simple. We need immediate watertight rules across all levels of competition. We're going to get continue to get situations which happened like Casta Semenya, which basically devastated her career. The IOC have dealt with it poorly. And I know my meeting middle today is not going to be glowing of the um, International Olympic Committee at all. But I think we need, at this point now, watertight rules because for the, the well-being of the athletes and for the well-being of fans, not knowing who can compete where and when, um, a lot of this is coming out of America, and obviously it's in the Ivy League, so you may not necessarily see it on the front page of uh, the Times or the Independent in the UK, but this obviously is a growing situation. Um, Dan, come to yourself first. 
You're always very diplomatic. Uh, what do you think of this? What do you think of the situation? Uh, when is it time for worldwide sports to step up and make some firm decisions? Yeah, big questions. And I don't think they have simple answers. Um, I think one of the things that, from my point of view, need to be considered most is um, all the people involved in this are all people. Uh, so uh, what we inevitably see when things are unclear and ambiguous and uh, people are tense because championships or whatever else is on the line, then that's when things get nasty and you start to see um, uh, sides being taken and people saying, well, this shouldn't happen, that shouldn't happen. So I think um, championships and committees and associations need to be proactive and I completely agree. I think this is where these uh, organizations have a responsibility to their sports and to um, future athletes to have uh, planning in place for um, what they're going to do, how they're going to manage this, what their policies are going to be, make it watertight, but make it very clear, but also with room. And, and, and obviously we, we're not in this organization. It's easy for us to sit here and say this, but they need to be done with room for flexibility and responsiveness to how society changes moving forward as well. So they can, they, they can learn from this. They can learn to go, look, we've created a system that's not flexible or, well, no, we've created a system that's ambiguous and not flexible. So we need to remove ambiguity, but remain, be able to be responsive going forward. Uh, and I think, I, I, yeah, I can't give an answer to what that would look like. Um, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I'll be honest with you, Dan. I, think... I mean, that answer was better than Thomas Bach could do ever. Um, mm. I think the you know the current boss of the IOC couldn't um, answer a question with 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 tact in that way. Um, the issue at stake here is is it's never really been an issue at this level, um, but now uh, that Leah Thomas is dominating the women's um, pool you have to then question this is the time now where there may have to be protections around girls and women's sport. Now, obviously the fact that she was beating a man called Isaac Hennig, it, you know, in the women's competition is, is maybe just adding some fire to uh, the national debate in America. It's very, very polarized as you can imagine. Um, but Leah Thomas's testosterone levels are currently below the required level uh, for a born cisgendered man who's now a female to compete. So she is, she's not breaking any rules. Um, and yeah, I don't know, Sai, if you, if you have any sort of views on this or if you hear anything, did you hear anything about the Ivy league people? The Ivy league obviously is, is the prestigious seven universities in America that all compete together. I don't know all the universities' names, maybe Harvard, Pen Pennsylvania, some other Brown, Yale, maybe. So um, it's as Dan quite eloquently put, it is a, a bit of a massive quagmire at the moment where they're in in that situation. Uh, and as you say, it is a, a massive polarizing thing in a country, let's be honest, in America, uh, the United States of America, that is basically having a schism within itself. Um, you have two very separate sides, political ideologies come onto a lot of it, and you tend to sit one side of the fence or the other. Um, so as Dan so eloquently put again, um, you know, we have to consider there are people involved and try and leave politics and everything else out of this and try and come up with a solution. Uh, having said that, the solution is very murky. Um, now, 
people transitioning genders has not been, it's not a new thing. Uh, however, maybe due to um, uh, maybe a level of being able to compete uh, in sports, having transitioned or um, feeling finally being comfortable in one's skin to actually compete has only become a relatively new thing for transgender athletes, uh, I would say, in my opinion, anyway. Um, so although this isn't new ground, it is new ground in a lot of ways because, um, you know, this is something that obviously hasn't come up regularly enough and maybe uh, the IOC and various bodies in America as well have buried their heads in the sand, which is probably very, very likely, especially when you see, as is once again said, there is such a schism between various areas in the South, in the in the West, in the North, and etc. So it, it becomes a very bad issue of, how do we combine all of this into a uh, a coherent set of rules that is transitioning between everybody? So that, you know, as you say, you you can't just you know compete on one competition and then the national championships come up and you can't. We need a level playing field for everything. But having said that, it's not very clear, and I think to a certain extent, it's not for us to really say because we don't know enough about the situation. Now, I've heard regularly about things like the level of testosterone needed for athletes to compete uh, after transitioning is, is is such a level. Um, but if Leo Thomas is winning so handily, perhaps this is still too high. But once again, who is it for us to say what is fair, what is unfair? Um, but yes, it has to be considered. We have to come up with a solution, whatever that solution may be, um, and, and kind of try and make it the best for everyone, whether that means that we have some level of asterisks for certain competitions or whatever. But at the moment, it's a situation that is entirely untenable. Uh, and it doesn't, I kind of feel like we're no closer to a solution. And in a way, that's the saddest part. You're absolutely right. And, and that's the problem, you know, drawing back to the Olympic side of things, because of course, this is based in the Ivy League over in, in America. But, uh, of course, you know, these people are uh, competing nationally to, to get those Olympic places. Um, and the IOC have already changed regulations this year. We're only two years out from the next Olympics. And, and there has to be clarity. Two years is enough time to get people together, all these bodies, scientists, yeah. athletes, <clears throat> discuss it and make sure for Paris 2024. Geez, I hope before Los Angeles 2028, I think Brisbane 2032, this won't be sorted in all honesty. Yeah. Uh, but there has to just be clarity across the board. And the reason I obviously wanted to discuss that story is because it is growing um, and it will become much more apparent at the Olympic stage over the next uh, six, six to 10 years. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Dialogue proactive nature that's what we want to see let's let's keep our fingers crossed and have some positivity for that um okay let's move on so over to you so from trying to reduce it from being just two sides going at each other to a support a sport that is literally about two people having it out in a ring uh you want to bring some boxing to the table here what have you what have you got for us this week Sai? so um this has been kind of hanging around for a little bit um we've been kind of modifying our expectations about what fights were coming after the Wilder and Fury fight. We originally had the possibility of Fury versus Joshua, which was then changed at the last moment. Um, well, not last moment, but it, relatively uh, quite, quite quickly before the fights were maybe signed and sealed. Um, so uh, it's now known that Fury is going to be fighting um, 
uh, Dillian White. Um, so it'd be two British heavyweights again, obviously showing how superior the British heavyweight division is compared to anywhere else in the world. Uh, suck at America. Um, but at the same point... Um, We're really beating on America this week, aren't I know, we? man. I know. <laughs> and the next three I've got to talk about are all about American sports. Um, but yeah, very interesting fight. Um, I think it's obviously it's Fury's to win. I think he's the better fighter. But it will be an interesting fight. But it's been an, a bit of a contentious build-up. So um, Fury was basically told that he had to fight um, Dillian White and he was the mandatory challenger. Uh, he signed up for the fight. Uh, but Dillian White, notoriously, um, you know, outspoken, has been very, very quiet and left it basically until hours before the uh, the deadline for the the fight could, uh, to be confirmed to sign his contract. Now, part of that probably had to do with the purse, which is an 80-20 uh, split for Fury to him. So he's going to get about nine million and Fury will get over 30. Um, but... At the same point, uh, yeah, he's been notoriously quiet. Fury's really trying to drum up the fight at the moment. Coward being thrown around, calling Madossa, wants money to turn up to everything, money to turn up to press conferences. If you are listening to anything that Fury is putting out at the moment, it is exceedingly entertaining and not to be a big surprise because this is one of the most entertaining men in sport at the moment. Um, so yeah, we don't know when the fight will be. We don't know where the fight will be either, but it is signed and it will hopefully be happening relatively soon. And I think it will be a good one because let's be honest, any Tyson Fury fight is usually a good fight. So, uh, looking forward to it. Uh, and once again, showing off the British heavyweight division. Can uh, Dillian White cause an upset? And the reason I ask that is, uh, he's not as good as Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury for me could go down as, as one of the if not the greatest, I mean, Muhammad Ali-level boxer. Mm. Uh, Dillian White, though, this is his chance. This is his shot. Mm. This is what he's been living his life for. This is what he's been training six, seven days a week for. It all comes down to this one shot, and we saw it with Ruiz. You only mm. need one shot and one good punch, uh, and Tyson will get up, but you need maybe another good punch. <laughs> but can can White cause an upset? Because I think the 80-20% split, um, in terms of the fight prediction, for me, it's 99%, 1% chance Dylan White could win. Uh, but could he? And what happens if he did? I mean, he definitely can. I mean, there is nothing to suggest that he can't win it. Um, he's fought you know, against decent fighters before. I think he got um, surprised by Povetkin in the first fight, but won the second fight. Uh, obviously, an aging Russian fighter, uh, which was a big shock in the first fight. Definitely, they lost it. Um, obviously, lost to Joshua when they were both very, very long ago in their career, early doors in their career. But yeah, he's got the chance. He's a good boxer. He's got power behind him. Um, it can be, uh, not even have to be a big knockout. It can be, uh, you know, he just ties him out in the ring, or it could be even be something like an incidental clash of heads causes a cut or something like that, that is good enough to continue, but he works on it to the end of the fight or whatever. It's, you know, it's not impossible. It's not likely, but it's not impossible. And if it is, well, it just throws, I don't know, does it, it, it really sours the potential Joshua's Fury fight. But I suppose at the same end of the day, it also creates another possible boxing, British boxing superstar. One question uh, before Dan hits us with a segue. Will we ever see... Literally. Literally. uh, Will we ever see uh, Fury versus Anthony Joshua? 
Well, a lot of this depends on what happens with the Usyk-Joshua fight. Is Joshua definitely going to take up his, re uh, his rematch? Um, is uh, Fury going to fight Usyk? So there's a lot of stuff going on. Are these guys going to win any of their fights before they meet each other? Uh, you know, you're really putting some jeopardy uh, for that fight ever happening or the buy-in rate, the buy-out rate being particularly high if these guys lose any more fights between now and then. But yeah, it's still a possibility. Uh, a few things just have to fall right uh, and then we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, we need that fight. I think it will be the biggest fight in, well, one of the biggest fights in boxing history and uh, definitely one of the biggest fights in the last, what, 10 to 20 years. So your heart says yes, but your head says no. Uh, I'm going to stand completely on the fence, sit on the fence and <laughs> not give you an answer. Okay, that's all right. Dan, Dan, you like the fence, don't you? <laughs> I I'm, I'm I think the fence is a great place. You get a great view, and nice. you know what? We can all live in harmony. So let's move on from beating each other up and beating on America to championing American sports. Um, side, so give us a rundown on a couple of things that's happening across MLB, NBA, and NFL. So speaking of uh, sitting on the fence, that's basically where the uh, MLB is right now. So <laughs> Major League uh, Baseball. Yes, sorry, Major League Baseball. Dan knows. So, um, as I've talked it. about in previous shows, there are uh, horrendously bad negotiations going on between the MLBPA, uh, which is the Players Association, and the MLB itself. Um, none of them can agree on the payouts for players, uh, a variety of different issues around the contracts and everything else, salary caps, all these sorts of stuff. Uh, and it's just going to, it's still bleeding further and further on. We're on to three months now and um, we are very much in danger of, and I believe the deadline is the 28th of the opening day of the season being affected and possibly moved uh, and having a, what could be a, a shortened season or a much congested season if they try and fit all the games in. Spring training has already been abandoned for the time being. So players are now, slightly behind schedule there as well so it's a big mess over there and um yeah it'd be interesting to see out i mean it's a sport we don't talk about much on this podcast because um we can't watch every sport for goodness sake and there's 180 games a year being played by each team or whatever it is but um yeah it's something worth watching because lockouts a bring about new uh collective bargaining agreements which is very interesting for that sport and for other sports american sports but also um it can affect you know viewing figures and everything else so uh tv shares all sorts of stuff like that so uh, a lot of stuff to think on in that and it's dragging on and it does not look anywhere closer to being concluded um, well, moving on uh, that's, from that, that is a this... bit of a shame though because okay, okay. we we do want to try and bring in more major league baseball but since we've actively tried to do it given it's in our logo for mm. over a year now um yeah. we there hasn't been any games <laughs> there's not been much going on <laughs> <laughs> maybe so, with uh, a curse <laughs> i know maybe we should take it out of our logo and everything will be sorted <laughs> what Sorry, sport so. would we put in F1, uh, which, if it means which that it gets, gets stopped, that'd be great. I think, I think we've oh. got racing in there. I think there's a, oh. is there a NASCAR one in there? There's a Michelin uh, tyre in there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Maybe okay. golf. Put a golf ball in. No one cares about golf. Oh. Si, are you still in, li in like with golf? <laughs> I still like a bit of golf. I know that was something on your original show notes, but now we're already on to about 40 minutes of highlights. I think maybe we'll just gloss over that for the time being. Yeah, um, no, I, got rid of, I, got rid of, I got rid of Khan Brook as well, because... Uh, uh, yes. Well, 
Kelbrook won. Kelbrook but won that. Yeah, sixth round comfortably, stoppage. Actually, yeah, yeah Khan's face was was beat up, and I think he's going to fight Chris Eubank Jr. next. Uh, mm. But uh, yeah, golf. The Super League was abandoned. Highlight. I'm just going to throw up that one in there. Uh, sigh. Sorry. Yeah. Can you tell so, we um, haven't done a proper show for like four weeks? Five no, weeks. There's so much to talk about, yeah. isn't it? So it's great. Multi tool. Um, so NBA, NBA All-Star Weekend was this weekend. Now, I don't usually talk about the All-Star events because most of them are pretty pointless. What uh, is the All-Star example, event, Sai? So I was going on to that, Dan, before you just butted in. Yeah, I was doing a nice um, little conversational geez. in for you. That's how it geez, works, Where you Sai. sipped a beer. It was very, it was very continental. <laughs> um, so, uh, so the Pro Bowl, for example, in the NFL is completely pointless and no one cares about it. I didn't even mention it on my other podcast, Shutdown Coverage, by the way. Shutdown Cover on Twitter. Um, but um, yeah, the All-Star holds a special place in a lot, of, a lot of people's hearts. So basically it's where players are selected and they play out a game and it's just all about dunks and three-point shots and stuff. And it's just an excuse for all the best players in the world to get together and, and, and be awesome. Um but you also have some some interesting games that go on. So you had the skills challenge won by Team Cavs, the hometown Cleveland Cavaliers team, um, where you basically do a little, little obstacle course. Yanis entered Tecumpo and his brothers were also competing and lost. Um, but that wasn't particularly interesting. The two interesting ones were, now um, I'm also glossing over the All-Star game itself where Steph Curry managed to get 50 points because the two interesting things were the three-point con- competition so Carl Anthony Towns, center for the Minnesota Timberwolves, was the outside bet, 13 to 1 outside bet. And he won, draining 29 in the last round. So that was interesting. He is the tallest man to win the three-point competition since Dirk Nowitzki in 2006, Germany's own Dirk Nowitzki. Um, so very interesting. And going on from something very interesting and very... Uh, exciting to something that was less exciting, the dunk competition, which has been labelled the worst dunk competition that anyone can ever think of. It was, um, I think in the first round, there were seven completed dunks off 25 attempts. So you're looking at something like a 20% conversion. Um, Jalen Green, one of the uh, the shooting guard for the Houston uh, Rockets, uh, had 11 attempts on his first round dunk. So all in all, horrendous performance. Juan Toscano Anderson uh, on his final dunk managed to get a 30-pointer, which is unheard of being it's out of 50 points. So that's basically just doing <laughs> like a two-handed dunk. But Should they change pretty- the name of it from all-star to just all-average? Well, I mean, the dunk competition is slightly different because it's kind of done by a basis of volunteers and selection. So it's slightly different. So obviously in previous years, and this is the big issue, you've got players like Michael Jordan, Dominic Wilkins, um, Zach Levine, all these sorts of amazing, Vince Carter, all these amazing dunk specialists have put on an absolute show over the years. Well, that's all gone now. And you're basically scraping you know, average league starters and rookies to do this now. And it's, yeah, this year was a real, real eye-opener. And as I said, it it was possibly the worst dunk competition you could ever watch. So watch it. It's hilarious. Watch, there's a (laughs) meme of Shaq going around with him, a previous dunk, probably the uh, one of the Zach Levine ones, jumping out of his chair, overjoyed to watch it. And then in this one, he's nearly falling asleep. I mean, 11 (laughs) attempts to do a dunk 
is pretty, pretty horrendous. So all in all, a horrendous, disappointing affair for the All-Star game. And hopefully next year they get it right because this year was atrocious. Uh, the games itself were okay, but some of the skills competition, especially the dunk contest, was uh, something left to be desired. Um to round off a, as a oh, blooper sorry, reel, Sai. It was a blooper yeah. reel. I mean, I saw one, it was uh, miss, went for three point, miss, went for this, but I saw Curry uh, hit a three pointer from way, way, way downtown, as the American commentators yeah. call it, turning around with the ball mid flight. I think he hit some like 15 threes. I, I yeah. think Steph Curry, surely Steph Curry, does he not get his own team? I'm under the impression he's better than Kevin Durant now. No, uh, oh, he's okay. probably not, um, but neither of them have had the best of years. So Stephen Curry started off really well, but he's now having the worst shooting career of his, well, of his career, wow. um, Steph Curry. Um, so in that in this way, it's, it's kind of been an eye-opening experience. But I mean, he still managed to drain 15 threes in the All-Star game and obliterate the three-point record for that uh, little game. So, yeah, an interesting uh, affair. Always fun to be at. Always fun to go to a nice city like Cleveland or something and, and see some stuff. But overall, yeah, not the best quality in certain events. So um, going from Cleveland, I'm going to do all the segues now, Dan. Going from Cleveland <laughs> to another about, so. competition, all-star competition of sorts, the NFL Combine, where the uh, best young talent in the league go in the NFL, the National Football League, American football, for those who aren't au fait, um, go and show off their skills. They do the the th- you know the dash, they do the bench press, they do all sorts of cone drills uh, and so catching the ball and stuff like that to show and meet all the teams and things of that nature. Um, it's basically like a horse market or something really weird, to be honest, uh, where all the teams go and they look at all how these guys test. Um but at the same time, uh, there's been some contention this year. So the NFL, in their attempts to try and keep the combine going, have created a bubble situation. So uh, throughout, obviously, we've heard this a lot in, in a lot of sports in recent times, but a, the bubble effectively means a COVID-safe bubble, which means you're limited about your traveling when you're on site. Um you're basically the behest of, of the organizers about when you do anything. Um, and for the NFL Combine, you're only allowed to have one trainer or coach with you. So a lot of these guys have, you know, five or six people on their team, physios, everything else, um, and they're not been allowed to have it. Furthermore, they were combining events on the same day, so you may end up doing things like the bench press and then maybe do some of the field drills as well on the same day. And a lot of these guys they are set to test in a certain way. So agents have come out and basically said, we could see a situation where there's going to be 150 plus of these players pull out and actually not do the scouting combine. Now, the NFL has now relented, uh, but it was a very dicey proposition where roughly about half of the players were not going to turn up and do most of the drills, which would have completely ruined the spectre of the scouting combine. But um, we're going to talk about the draft more as time goes on. Um, and yeah, be aware that this will get mentioned again, but uh, a horrendous time for the NFL who was going through some awful, awful times, not only the Brian Flores issues with, uh, accusations of racism about the hiring of black coaches, um, investigations into the Washington commanders who commanders now, not the Redskins or the Washington football team as they were before, um, regarding sexual harassment of women in the workplace uh cowboy dallas cowboys team 
um, with a, a man, a high executive within the team, putting a camera in the cheerleaders' locker room while they changed. Some horrendous stories of the NFL, and this was a, another potential black eye, but they've uh, relented, and uh, we shall hopefully have a good scouting combine, which I will go over in the coming months. Yeah, I like the combine. It's it's sort of interesting. Hundred kilo bench press, and they they do it for reps. It's quite remarkable, um, you know. And you see these big, um, I don't know, four five hundred pound players, maybe not that much, maybe four hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah, uh, running, and it's like that's the five hundred pounds, like the rock, um, like the big show, isn't it? WWE. Sorry, yeah. maybe I've got that right. I mean, Seven foot. You're, you're really looking about three fifty is about the max. That's like some of yeah, the big yeah. about three fifty. Sorry, yeah, four hundred is like yeah, like um, the great Carly and and things like. Uh, but yeah, I heard that Brian Flores is now the, the the defensive coach at the Steelers. Yes, he's now a defensive assistant coach, something along those lines, at the uh, at the Pittsburgh Steelers. So he's had to settle for a job way below his talents as a head coach. Um, uh, but his on, on, his lawsuit is ongoing and it will have no sign of breaking just yet. And uh, credit to the Pittsburgh Steelers because um, the Houston Texans hired a, co- a coach who wasn't even in their final interview process as their coach to avoid hiring Brian Flores. So, um, yeah, interesting times. And uh, we talk about it a lot on our other podcast, Shutdown Coverage, Shutdown Cover on Twitter. So uh, we'll talk about it more on there. But uh, an interesting situation and the NFL is taking some punches right now. But defensive coach is all good and well for the Steelers, and I know we'll move on. But uh, they don't have a quarterback. I what what? I mean, I know we're going to talk. We've got to talk about it. The draft is going to come up, but um, I hope Brian Flores does well there. So many crazy things in NFL, isn't there? Mm, definitely, it's a it's a big time, and uh, the league's over, but it's still not finished, as we will talk about in a minute. I cannot wait. In the interim, uh, we've got some motorsports to talk about, which I know Sai will be delighted to hear. Um, We spoke briefly with Andrew last week around some of the stuff coming out of the FIA with the just messy way that the 2021 season ended. Talking about Formula One, of course, uh, with Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton neck and neck at the end and Max taking the title. Uh, we now know some of the detail that's come from that. There's nev- not really been any kind of um, explicit talk around exactly what happened then, but there's been a few things we now know. One is uh, which we also we now know, for example, how they'll avoid races like Spa again, where there'll just be a race behind a, uh, a safety car and they'll avoid that by uh, having at least two proper racing laps uh, with no safety car, a virtual safety car, to call it a race. Um, we know that Michael Massey, uh, the centre of this controversy at the end of last season, uh, is no longer in that role. He'll be placed elsewhere within the FIA. Can I add uh, where where he's going to be placed? Yes, please do. He is now the head of catering and facilities is that right? Yeah, I'm not even joking. He is head. I did of not catering, know that. Is Grand Prix catering and facilities manager? Are you taking a piss? <laughs> no. I did not know that. Wow. Okay, that's wow. Um, so yeah, Michael Massey has moved. Um, he's been replaced by two uh, two other people on rotation. So trying to introduce consistency by adding more variables is an interesting approach, but it's met with sort of 
various um, response. Uh, some people kind of like, fine, let's see what happens. Maybe it'll, because there's so much racing now. The season's so big. Maybe fatigue set in, maybe that's an issue, and maybe having two will take the heat off a bit. Who knows? We'll find out. Um, but anyway, more importantly, we've seen most of the cars now. Uh, just Alpha um, Alpha Romeo left to reveal, and of course we've got to see the Red Bull properly still. Um, but they're all starting to get out on track this week in Barcelona, and we're going to start seeing how they perform on track. We're going to start seeing the liveries in real daylight running. Um, it's getting really exciting. Um, I'm genuinely getting proper, proper excited for this season. Uh, I can't wait for that first race. All that's left to do now is see how they perform through the two testing sessions and uh, watch Drive to Survive. Uh, even though I'm sure we'll be underwhelmed, um, but I'll still watch it and then get to uh, lights out uh, for the first race. Um, ben, I mean, are you excited? Are you hopeful that this will, these new regs, the new aero, the new wheels will result in closer racing, more exciting racing that we want to see? It's really been interesting to see the uh, the change of focus on Twitter in the last days uh, let alone weeks yeah. obviously Lewis Hamill's come back there's been some brilliant quotes things like uh you've not seen the best of me yet you know you think I was good last year wait till this year and yeah. um yeah. also kind of a strange acceptance that he was robbed of the world championship uh I'm gonna sit on the fence whether whether it doesn't matter which side you are everyone around has seemed to just accepted that Verstappen stole it which is interesting maybe that's just the <laughs> British media and what I'm seeing but I think that's odd, and I think that's going to build tension again just for the start of the, the season. And we're only, you know, 25 days out. But uh, one point I really want to make, and, and it's really important, is that the cars look unbelievable. Wonderful. They are sexy, they? beautiful. Yeah. They look brilliant. Um, listen, I mean, if you get a chance to, to uh, remortgage your house and go to a Formula 1 event this year, <laughs> then I would do it. I'm not, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm um, There is... Only one car I'm slightly disappointed with with the livery. The rest I'm 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 all for. You don't like the Ferrari, do you? No, ah. it's, the, it's the shape of the Ferrari I'm not a massive fan of. The livery, the McLaren. Yeah, but the McLaren looks. Actually, I saw it the other day. Though, it looked absolutely fantastic on track because it was uh, stripped of all of its logos. Yeah, it's branding, it kind of looked yeah. quite simple. But the Alpine launch. Oh, oh my god, this car looks unbelievable. And Fernando Alonso says that he thinks Alpine's uh, target is world championship level. El Plan. El Plan. The but yeah, no, uh, McLaren. I think I don't know. The rest have the flowing lines in the graphic design, and, and McLaren doesn't quite have it. It stands out, but I don't know. Um, but speaking, of, uh, may, maybe I just wanted to see the golf colours back. I don't know. But uh, speak. Let's stick with McLaren because um, I managed to catch some of the first round of this year's Extreme E Championship. Now, we spoke about this briefly on the show before, uh, but this is the new uh, off-road um, sort of rally-style, uh, sort of Dakar-style racing, but all in uh, electric vehicles. Uh, they're designed to go uh, to spaces around the world to highlight some of the environmental challenges faced by various environments. So there's desert, there's Arctic, there's um, water, there's all sorts. Uh, so this is over in uh, Saudi Arabia in a, in a desert. Um, it was gripping. I really enjoyed watching the racing, and so did my boys. And it made me think, because it's such a relatively short format, battery capacity and things like that, 
and a new concept. I did wonder, is this is Extreme E to Dakar what 2020 cricket is to normal cricket? Although the Dakar is actually exciting. But is it, you know, in terms of concept of the race, let's ignore all the environmental electric side of stuff. In terms of concept of like whittling down, making more exciting, TV graphics, shorter formats, like semifinals, heats, and a crazy race they do as well. Like, is that what they try to do with cricket with 2020? But actually, this, this genuinely exciting and it was gripping for the boys and this is what i'm saying is the kids it was really engaging for them and they really enjoyed watching it they don't sit through yeah. a whole formula one race yeah well, i mean the, the the whole the whole issue with with uh the attention span of humans now uh, apart from our listeners i mean customers uh um who listen <laughs> to our lengthy clients who listen to our le- lengthy podcasts um is yeah. dwindling something like six seven seconds i mean how can you expect them to watch a whole dakar over so many stages um and yeah t20 2020 cricket was a real big sort of important play to go against that long drawn out test cricket although one day still maybe works in that vein uh formula e, not something i've yet to really get my extreme teeth into uh, sorry extreme is not something you really get my teeth into uh yeah. lewis hamilton has a team right he does as does um jensen button uh nico okay. rosberg like yeah it's 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 fun and they've got mega drivers in there as well and but ben i'm glad you mentioned formula e because i've got a stat for you that i think you're going to like so extreme e in uh, between. So I'm reading from the, uh, an article in Autosport uh, this month's Autosport magazine. Uh, um, it, uh, extreme e between first of January and thirty first of December last year used uh, or produced eight thousand eight hundred and seventy tons of CO two. Mm-hmm. Okay, doesn't really mean anything as a number in itself. So um, what they've compared that to is return flights between Heathrow and JFK. That's 5,482 return flights. Okay, so that's a lot. However, um, what that is, is that is just 4%. Uh, sorry. Um, oh, I've lost my numbers. Bugger. Oh, that's terrible. Terrible reporting here. Apologies. Two seconds. Right, I'm going to come Fill back. Fill in, Ben. Fill in. <laughs> Fill in. No, no, Talk no, to me no, about those numbers. No. It's important because the pressure should be on you right now to make these numbers count. Me and Sai, every single week, come rolling in with numbers. Oh, I see. I was looking for a percentage. It's a, it's a, it's a fraction. So this is a fifth. Again, reading from the article here. Uh, it's a fifth of what Formula E produces in a calendar year of racing in non-covid racing times right and formula e there's a new chart come out which is the sustainable championship index formula e tops that guess which championship is second runner-up in that sustainability championship uh, index world rally cars now because they're sustainable fuel wrong formula one I... so this <laughs> question your facts so now the, this I'm, I'm reading from the article and this is uh you know it's a separate thing to autosport this isn't autosport making the, the list so the, um that's based on like aspirations goals uh you know what they're doing what they're doing but basically for me uh, extreme e doesn't have fans at the um uh the the races it travels by boat um which in itself is way more um carbon not as doesn't produce as much carbon as flying uh so anyway there's all this kind of other and it's it's you know the, the argument really is as a package 
it's, it's a very sustainable package and that may well the infrastructure may well outlast the series itself um but yeah it's 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 exciting racing above all that it's exciting racing mclaren are in there and they've got a very very nice looking motor racing around those sand dunes yeah i, I don't specifically or particularly i should say i uh, think that extreme are the option i don't think they're the solution i don't think formula uh, any formula of racing is the solution to a worldwide uh, sort of growing uh, climate emergency. But sport itself has to do more. That's obvious. And maybe yeah. Extreme E can bring sponsors into the sport and, and, and raise awareness. I don't know. I mean, I think we're past the point of awareness being needed to be raised. Um, how can you watch Extreme E? Where is it? What's it Across on? Uh, social media channels, YouTube. And, okay, so you can stream um, that live yeah. on, on, on for free. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can, that's it's good. also that's on good, yeah. Discovery, Eurosport, all those things. Um, uh, right. So I just want one more thing on motor racing and then say um, you can wake up. Uh, and that's endurance racing. Um, so talking about Le Mans 24 hours and things like that. Aston Martin are again making all the right noises that they'll bring the Valkyrie to endurance championship. Now, there's loads of new manufacturers coming back into these uh, the new hypercar uh, level of racing in, in sports car. Um, you know, you've got Porsche, you've got Talks with Lamborghini, you've got um, uh, Glickenhaus developing theirs, you've got Alpine doing theirs. So you know, all these uh, other manufacturers coming back in. But that Valkyrie is such a wonderful looking motor. I want to see that thing racing around Le Mans, and I, yeah, I'm really hoping that those uh these noises uh fruit in the future i'm going to move on from motor racing uh let's talk about uh the winter olympics um over the last couple of weeks we have we do keep saying we're going to come back to the winter olympics and sadly we're not actually going to give it a huge amount of time because um you know we watch bits and pieces here and there between us um but so much else has been going on. We, you know, we sadly can't talk for another hour about just the Olympics. But I just want to mention a couple of things, and that is, of course, the curling, gold for the ladies, and, gold, um, silver for the men, and um, sixth for the self-funded bobsled team, the men's bob, uh, four-man bobsled team. It's a remarkable, remarkable effort. So, you know, the Winter Olympics ain't our bag, really, but. We put on a good show. We did well. We came away for some medals. And, you know, for some of that team in the women's curling, you know, that's four years in the making. Uh, four, yeah. four games in the making, sorry. Yeah, absolutely incredible for Eve Muirhead and crew. Uh, I didn't watch enough. I sort of, I watched the first week. I watched some incredible athletes. I watched some cool sports. I watched some kind of inconsistent venues. I'll probably go and say that. Uh, but yeah, my sort of viewership of the Winter Olympics tailed off. I can't tell you why. Uh, well, I, think... I think that the time zone was a challenge. Mm. Simon, you've alluded to this before. Um, and we certainly had that with the Summer Olympics, didn't we? Yeah, it's, it's the least watched uh, Olympics, least watched Winter Olympics in history. Yeah. but And of course, snow stopped play, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Snow, real snow, fell on the fake snow, so they had to stop doing snow sports. Uh, which is the same. Sai, have you got anything you want to you want to add about the Olympics? Yeah, I think not necessarily been a disappointing, but yeah, I think the time difference it was bad enough in the Summer Olympics, but I think there was still enough British, you know, interaction that we kind of got over that, and you know, we we would try our best to seek out the stuff 
that uh, that we were doing well in. Um, what obviously is, as you said, Winter Olympics is not our specialty. So therefore, apart from tuning into the curling on what is it the second to last day, there wasn't really much that we could shout home about. So yeah, it was disappointing in that regard. Yeah, there was some. Um, some interesting things, the fake snow with all the participants being very, very worried about, you know, not getting any in their mouth, not trusting, you know, the, the, the composition of it and everything else. So that was quite interesting. And as you said, yeah, the, the massive snowstorm actually stopped play in, in certain things. Uh, I think it was the skiing, was it downhill skiing? I think it was, um, yeah, which was farcical, but yeah, I think the time difference really screwed me over on this and I, I really can't wait now. And I know it's selfish because, you know, everyone has this problem wherever it is. There's going to be somewhere else in the world who doesn't get to see their heroes at a normal time. But I'm very looking forward to the events being at a much more, um, you know, acceptable time for the British public. Absolutely. Um, and uh, speaking of Olympic Games, we've got the Paralympics coming up next, of course, following the Olympics, uh, starting uh, next Friday. And we have one of the biggest Paralympics GB teams going out to the Games in nearly 30 years, with I think about 35 athletes heading out, So, which is really exciting. Um, so I'm definitely going to catch some of that. Again, it'll be hit and miss what we're able to catch around work life and uh, time zones, but we'll we'll hope to see some some highlights out there on that. All right, let's move on uh, to some um, some topics that both of you want to bring up uh, this week. Uh, ben, you want you want to you want to bring it back to Russia? I think. Yeah, I mean, listen, let's let's, let's talk. Let's stay uh, with the winter. Actually, Olympics. do you know what I'm going to do? Yeah, I'm going to stop you in your tracks, and I'm going to say. If you want to find out more about what we do, you want to join our conversation. If you have any highlights you want to share with us or join in uh, with the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at WednesdayPod on either. And don't forget to find us on your favorite podcast platform. Like, share, subscribe, do your thing and tell your friends. Ben, back to Russia. So oh, Sai wants to interrupt me now as well. Also, I'm going to interrupt you. It's not Russia. It's the Russian Olympic Committee. They're not even related to Russia. It's nothing to do with Russia at all. It's not like they've just, you know, allowed all these Russian athletes to compete under a fake banner so they're allowed to, uh, you know, basically compete anyway under no... So it's basically no punishment whatsoever. It's not like that. It's nothing to do with Russia. Sorry, carry on. It, the thing is, that's actually really important. I just I was just nodded along. I was just checking the uh, Champions League scores, obviously, during your segment about uh, Extreme E. Um, mm. I've sort of been vocally against it, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to switch off and check the Champions League scores. Mm. <laughs> I, I, Chelsea, too. I, I, too. 2-0. Listen, we're, we're football fans. What can we say? But yeah, we're not going back to Russia. We're going back to Beijing. We're staying with Winter Olympics, Dan. Um, no segue needed. Uh, we're going to stay with... Camilla Valieva. Um, you've basically got to be living under a rock to not know the name. Uh, Camilla Valieva, the conversation seems sort of tied to everything that's going on in the political world. Russia is at the middle of everything right now. Obviously, the ROC, the Russian Olympic Committee, is not Russia. Simon has made that perfectly clear, and rightly so. Um, and listen, 
maybe I can speak for both you guys and, and say we hope there isn't a war in Ukraine soon, but let's stick to sport and in particular figure skating. Um, the sort of elegant, artistic sport that always seems to grab the headlines in the Winter Olympics, mostly for bad reasons, occasionally for good, Torval and Dean, etc. Um, obviously, in this time in Beijing, it had a lot more lows than it did highs. Now, what we know about Camilla Valieva and what I want to talk about, 15-year-old figure skater, best in the world, or arguably to be the best in the world, uh, tested positive for trimetazidine. Sai, help me out. Is it that one? Who's he play for? Which team? (laughs) The The Russian Olympic Committee. (laughs) Oh, we should not be vocal against the ROC on the podcast today. I want to see Thursday. Uh, yeah, she's tested positive for this. She's she's the best in the world. The only athlete that can perform or could perform until the final. A quad toe loop. Uh, even some sort of elite men don't do these these moves. It's incredible. Um, arriving in Beijing, she might have, have sort of been the most overwhelming favorite in, in the whole of the Olympics in reality. Um, but unless you sort of follow figure skating, you may never have heard of her. I certainly had never heard of her. And I follow sports, so maybe it was quite niche. Now, drugs in her system, a drug used to treat angina in older patients, I believe. Uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong, Simon, I think it's related to the heart. She was allowed to compete, okay? So she is a drug cheat in the way that she had drugs in her system that were banned at the level, okay? But given her age and the sensitivity of the situation, uh, the IOC said um, she can compete, but should she win or place in the top three, she would not be awarded a medal. Now, that's insane drama, even for figure skating, hashtag I, Tonya. Uh, but the conversation sort of gone way past a, a routine drugs test, okay? Uh, the pressure in a final run was clear to see. I don't know if you guys saw this. She, she fell a couple of times, looked like a different skater. It wasn't obviously her, like, elite, um, mercurial best. When she left the ice, her coach, nicknamed Cruella DeVille, I mean, if you've got that nickname, you're probably not the best person, but anyway, uh, a Terry Tutberids uh, barked in her ear, uh, the young Camilla's ear, why did you let it go? Explain to me why. Why did you stop fighting? You let it go after the Axel. Why? The moment she's just come off the ice, all of this huge pressure. She actually finished fourth because of her last run when she was sitting in first place going into it. Okay. Um, the irony here is is the court of arbitration who who sort of preside over the, the drug rules and, and um, uh, penalties and that kind of thing. They said they would let her compete to quote, this is what the court of arbitration said, to prevent irreparable emotional harm. So she she competes, has a mare, you know, because she's obviously in her own head and, and not focused, comes off the ice and her coach just absolutely slams into it. Okay, it gets even worse than that. Is she a drug cheat? No. Okay, back to the actual event. Before last week, no female skater in Olympic history had ever landed the quad spin. Uh, Valieva rode the bar, rose the bar. Her two compatriots, who got gold and silver in the event, did seven in their combined, you know, combined in their two runs. Alexandra Trusova and Anna Sherbakova, both 17. The judges ruled that Sherbakova's previous round was enough to give her the win. So she beats her teammate and her compatriot 
17-year-old Trusova, uh, who landed five quad jumps in the final run. No one had ever done it on the stage before Valieva, so she's lifting the game. Trusova comes off the ice and says, everyone has a gold medal, everyone but not me. Screaming, I, I, I say this, screaming, I hate skating, I hate it, I hate this sport, I will never go out on the ice again, never, 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 I hate it, it's impossible, it's impossible, impossible. A few sort of repeats, um, you cannot do it in this way. Uh, lo and behold, Ettery Tutberesid coaches all of them. Now, I mean, the big issue here, and the reason it's sort of around the media, is, as you can imagine, the worldwide, the different worldwide medias are coming at it from different angles. For, for whatever reason, the Americans aren't positive of the Russians, the Russian Olympic Committee. I don't know the reasons why. I'm not a political master. Maybe you guys can enlighten me why, why America doesn't There'll like Russia. There'll be some nuance somewhere about it. Yeah, something, maybe something, someone said something. I don't know. But if, you know, if you've ever picked up someone a Someone invaded somewhere. Something's happening. I don't know. Uh, maybe it was a, an angry game of tiddlywinks. Um, America <laughs> want the ROC banned for the rest of all time. Okay. USA Today flat out saying Valieva has been failed by all the adults in her life. Okay, savage. The Washington Post said this is the sad legacy of the Beijing Olympics. Now, I don't see that. I think the Beijing Olympics in parts was fantastic. I think um, Bach, uh, Bach, the uh, IOC president, um, sits on the fence too much, Dan. I think sitting on the fence might be all good and well on a podcast, but when you're the leader of the IOC, his excellency, you should be making some effing decisions and fixing this stuff. Um, obviously, the US aren't backing that, but the overriding problem here is, and I'm going to sort of run it on, I want to get your sort of opinions and ideas around this craziness, is it looks very much like her coaches drugged her. She didn't take this willingly. Her coaches gave her this drug, performance-enhancing drug, to help her win gold. What should we do? Blanket bans? Should the ROC just be thrown out? Should there not even be Russians who perform under the white banner of the ROC be allowed to compete? What happens? I mean, listen... I don't um, have the answers. Uh, point one, I've only got two small points, so I, 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 I want to let you get on this. But one is um, I'm very aware of my privileged position and therefore capacity and ability to sit on fences. Um, and I know <laughs> not many people around the world have that unique, uh, you know, that privilege to be able to do that. Uh, secondly is um, it sounds like you've just described the prequel to Black Widow. <laughs> <laughs> in some respects uh maybe that's where it all started but yeah more more serious uh, this drum was points. better than black widow uh spoiler <laughs> terrible film we disagree Ooh, uh so bad <clears throat> um i can attest that dan regularly abuses uh medications in order to sit on fences at a, <laughs> a superstar level i can't sit so, on my fence it's flat yeah. he's drinking now i mean yeah. banned substances. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah definitely eunice I think destroyed some... my fence i no longer yeah. have a fence to sit on yeah you and me both brother um so uh yeah i mean this is a it's a horrible situation um First of all, I think it brings up the issue with uh, the coaching of, of effectively, well, they are, they're children. Um, yeah. And the fact that these coaches, especially in countries with, and I don't mean to blanket every coach from certain countries as, as bad, but, you know, country, uh, with, with from states that have, you know, bad reputations, to say the least, 
you know, it suggests that should we be putting these children's hands in the people who don't actually have their best interests? If you look at um, athletes that have, um, you know, gotten to a certain age, they've been basically run into the ground so much that their their health has suffered because of their previous training. You, you look at, like, obviously, for example, Chinese athletes. Uh, a lot of them pick from very young age and go through very, very rigorous training camps at very young ages um and ultimately are we not putting these people i know yes that's maybe the sacrifice you have to take to be the best in the world but are we not putting these young adults these these children in a situation where their whole life will become affected by this and ultimately the answer is probably yes um secondly um regarding the roc i think and I don't know if anyone heard my slightly mocking, sarcastic tone when it was brought up originally. I think it's a load of bollocks. How can I don't think country, anyone's ever heard your mocking, sarcastic tone, Simon. Yeah, well, <laughs> now you're hearing it for the first time. Um, so how can a country that effectively has shown a huge amount of doping of its athletes be allowed to send? Um, athletes under another banner effectively yes i know the it's only athletes who have been proven to be clean but the country itself has a horrendous reputation when it comes to doping so we are just opening ourselves up as in this particular situation to times where these you know it's just going to come back and bite us in the ass and it has and instead of doing what we should have done and put a worldwide ban on them for a certain time and Putin could have done his little song and dance and done an angry speech and referenced historical things like he may have done about something else that we're not really going to talk about. Um, but <laughs> ultimately, the, the IOC bottled it when it came to all this stuff. And they basically came down to a situation where they sat on the fence, as uh, as one of our members are, are so keen to do. Um, and nothing has happened because of it. There is no real um, punishment involved. It's just going to happen again. Uh, and until we start taking this matter truly seriously, then nothing will ever, good will ever come of it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, sitting on the fence is all good and well. If I ask you a question, uh, who's going to win? Uh, oh, sorry, are we ever going to get the fight between uh, Fury and Joshua, for instance? It doesn't matter if you sit on the fence. It's, it's just a hypothetical idea. The IOC cannot sit on the fence here. They need to make actions. The fact that the Court of Arbitration said, we'll let her, we'll let her uh, skate, let her do what she loves, or what we hope she loves, um, because it's in her best interest, you know, so it doesn't irreparable damage is the word they use. And she comes off the, the skate and Cruella de Vil, the nickname, uh, sort of just absolutely lambasts her, you know, shellacks her and says, why, you know, did you throw it away? Well, maybe she was under some bloody pressure. Her name's in every goddamn media outlet in the world. Um, and the, the Guardian sort of wrote today, I've been pulling a bit of the Guardian today, uh, uh, tonight I should say, uh, talked about the pressure on young athletes are we getting to a point when it's it's actually just a bit silly now i mean 15 years old um i hope the coach gets in real trouble and uh, but before i come back to you si, with regards to the athletes i do feel the roc is fair not as the Russian Olympic Committee, but in a different way. The reason I say that is because a lot of these talented Russians, Russians are based outside of Russia. They're not part of that doping, systemic doping. Um, Yelena Isimbaeva, one of the great pole vaulters of all time, 
was a big advocate advocate for that promoting Russians being allowed to compete. Uh, you know, so stringent drug testing. But the fact that a fifteen year old is getting drugged by a coach to help a land quad toe loops is is not cool in my opinion. And ultimately, I don't know if this is to kind of cap it off. I'm sure Dan's burning to do a segue. But <laughs> we all know kids of 15, 14, 15, 16 years old or whatever, even 17, 18 year old. And you think, oh, they've made this stupid decision. But that's what happens when you're a kid. You know, you're learning experience stuff. These people can't afford to do this stuff. These people are not living normal lives. And ultimately, do we have to start thinking about, uh, at least in certain sports, um, putting a, a minimum age cap on things? Now, I know that would be terrible for uh, was our young skateboarder who's like 12 years old or whatever, but yeah, you're Brown. putting a lot of pressure on these people. It's like child actors. How many child actors grow up having not had a normal childhood to be you know, out of control or have stunted development because of the experiences they had when they were younger. And surely it's the same with athletes. And maybe we need to start protecting our kids instead of forcing them to try and win gold medals and drugging them up. We're just going to get a bunch of Corey Feldmans on ice, mm. and we don't want that. We don't want this. Actually, I'd pay to see a bunch of Corey Feldmans <laughs> on ice. Well, that's something entirely different. I was going to say Emilio Estevez, but I went with Corey Feldman. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, and that will forever remain a mystery. And um, All right. Uh, I'm going to try and segue this one. I'm not sure how to do it, but you know, if you're going to pay to see that side, um, oh, I, I can't do it. I don't know what I was going to do. I was going to try and go to ticket prices to the Super Bowl, uh, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago when you and Ed and Ben uh, got... Uh, you got deep on uh, a preview of the NFL Super Bowl, what to watch for, what to look out for, who was going to win. Sai, did all your wildest dreams come true? Um, I'll be interested to see what Ben thinks about this. I'm going to leave this uh, as a short one because, to be honest, we've literally been doing highlights and we're only getting through to our meeting middles and we're an hour and 20 minutes in. It's, it's a, what happens it's when you abandon us for a week. Si. It's a longie. Um, so uh, for those who don't know, uh, the LA Rams at SoFi Stadium won their own Super Bowl in front of their crowd of, of uh, well, mainly, I suppose, LA residents paying $10,000 to be there. Um, 23-10, I believe, the score was in the end. Um, it wasn't the best game in the world. Um, it had a, an interesting um, halftime show that was... Uh, was celebrated and praised heavily by people of our generation and possibly not so much by people of a younger generation. But um, yeah, it was, it was loved by a lot of people. The game itself wasn't the best, as I said, uh, some controversy. Was it like a bowl of own brand Cocoa Pops? Yeah, it was, right. it was enjoyable enough, but it was just wasn't the game that maybe the Patriots Falcons game was, or, um, you know, various other games over the years that have been enthralled to watch Seahawks, Patriots, etc. Uh, it wasn't quite up to that standard, but it was better than the LA Rams versus the Patriots, but that's irrelevant. But um, it was a decent game. Uh, it was finished in the last couple of minutes uh, with a last-minute drive by the Rams to win it uh, with Matt Stafford uh, throwing to his quarterback, uh, to his uh, wide receiver, Cooper Cup, who took home the Most Valuable Player Award, which should have gone to Aaron Donald, uh, the uh, defensive tackle. Um, but yeah, it was an all right game. 
and effectively we're you know we're ramping back up because it was watched by 112 million people around the world in 200 countries um but you know it all starts again the league year starts again i've already talked about the scouting combine uh, we've got free agency coming up so dan will be exceedingly pleased that even though there's no games to watch there's still a shitload of american football to talk about uh you got to love it um, Bengals O-line uh, gave away seven sacks. Uh, so Joe Burrow was sacked seven times, which is uh, equaling the record number of sacks by um, a quarterback in a game uh, in the playoff, in the Super Bowl. Um, so, yeah, just an absolute uh, shellacking for poor um, Joe Burrow. Um, but, yeah, a decent game. Um, and, Ben, what's your thoughts? Yeah, if Burrow keeps getting sacked, you know, double figures per game. He's yeah. not going to have a long career, that's for sure. Uh, I'll sort of start at the back and, and work my way. Um, I really liked Aaron Donald was basically made the game play. He he mm. sacked, um, and I absolutely agree with you. He was he was the game MVP for me, although Cooper Cup, I think, was maybe the playoff MVP for me. So I don't know if that mm. was sort of swaying the decision, maybe. Uh, I like them both. Listen, you know, tricky. They should have split that in half and, and both had... Uh, half an MVP award, but listen, they both got rings. And at the end, Aaron Donald, yeah, he made the play. He, he had the double cover all game long, which maybe Aaron Donald's had all career long. I don't know. Yeah. Um, some inc- incredible ways. He only missed two games in his entire career. It's unbelievable fitness levels. But he sort of he put his, his gloved hand up and he just pointed to his finger and was like, listen, it's my time now. I, I deserve this Super Bowl ring. And you can't argue against arguably the league's best player. And I hope he comes back. Um, I don't think he's committed to sort of retirement. At the moment, He, I think he was at the All-Star Games or maybe a game before that. He's watching other sports. He's schmoozing the LeBron James and uh, players like that. Um, your mate, our mate Ed... Our shutdown cover mate, Ed, was nearly bang on. In the first half, Trey Hendrickson was having a belter for the Bengals. Mm. I actually thought, no, like, is this is this guy just going to win the game for the Bengals with his unbelievable tackles mm. and getting in on Stafford? Uh, but no, I mean, in the end, they just couldn't. The O-line was simply not good enough to give Burrow the time to make some plays. I, I think it was that simple. Um, but yeah, Good, a good final. It wasn't terrible, but it, it, it sort of didn't live up to the playoffs. We, it no. peaked in the playoffs, didn't it? The playoffs were crazy. And I think you said the playoffs were so good, the Super Bowl's probably going to feel flat. Man, there were some celebrities there. Oh, my days, there was some money in that stadium. Stadium <laughs> looks the business. Stan Kroenke's going to be happy. Definitely some cash back in his pocket. Um, and I think the Bengals are one of the six or seven favorites for next season. I'll say that. I think the Bengals are going to go from strength to strength. Burrow knows what it's like to get to a Super Bowl now. I think he's got a lot of playoff games in the bag in the future. Um, and how, how can we be so excited for the next season again? How does How does NFL do this? At the end of the Premier League football season, I'll tell you this, after 38 games and 1,500 league cup competitions i'm happy for the break i'm like don't talk to me about football for at least six or seven days but with the nfl it's like oh man i can't wait for it to come back it's all going on and, and management changes and other dramas in the nfl but um sorry yeah when when is the draft um it's the i think it's the 27th of april i believe so thursday wow. night there we go. And um, I really enjoyed the halftime show. 
It was great. 50 cent. Um, I was Fat surprised. 50 cent. I was very surprised at how, like, that stadium is amazing, right? The set design for their show was less so. It faced one way. They performed oh, half yeah. the crowd. Yeah, I, th- I think they then moved around different stuff, but um, I liked Snoop Dogg. Oh, did Dog. it move? Yeah, no, I think they perfor- they moved their performance. Uh, I don't know. It just looked like it. I don't know. It just didn't seem to make use of the space. It didn't look like it, but I only watched the highlights reel. I, just, I, I thought it was great. I, really I think it only faced the expensive seats, the cheap seats <laughs> the just got the, grand the, ones. the back of the truck. Just got uh, behind Eminem kneeling. Um, right, let's um, wrap up uh, the the highlights slash meaty middle, the meaty highlights, um, because we, uh, we've we gone on and there's been so much happening. And that's what happens when we do specials, back-to-back specials. We miss out on all this other beautiful stuff that's happening across the world in sport. Don't forget to find us on your favorite podcast platform. Hit like, hit subscribe, hit follow, do whatever you need to do to make sure you get the latest show straight away without having to go and hunt for it and tell your friends, leave a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Wednesday Pod on either. It really helps us out when you do all of those things. So we appreciate it and love you for it. Um, Let's wrap up then. What have we got coming up? Because we've talked about so much happening. Um, I've got a couple of things. IndyCar, that's starting again this weekend, which I started, never been, never been massive into. I've always appreciated it and watched it when I can. But last year, I started to really start get into it, know a bit of the names, the teams and things. And actually, I think it's a cracking series. Like, I've missed out all this time. So that's starting again this weekend, which is exciting. It's just the time zone thing. Again, bit of a problem. Yeah. We've got more Barcelona testing coming up over the next few days, uh, which is super exciting. Um, yeah, that's about it, really. Um, Sai, what have you got coming up? Well, that's a very good question, Dan. I, and I apologise, it's the 28th is the first day of the draft, not the 26th. I do apologise. Um, so, uh, NBA starts back up now. We're back into the last third of the season, really, now. Um, so, we're about 59, 60 games in. So, yeah, so actually probably a quarter of the season left now. So, uh, very exciting. A lot of playoff positions to be uh, decided um, the East especially is very, very close. Um, but the West is also, you know, not the not the uh, foregone conclusion by any sense. So we'll talk about more about that in the next few weeks. Uh, and the other thing I'd like to bring up is the USFL. So for anyone who's a real American history buff uh, of sport, I should say, not just any old American history, um, the USFL was an alternative football league, American football league, that was bought out, uh, and its last season was 1986. So, a long, long, long time ago. Uh, as someone born around that sort of time, I can say it's a bloody long time ago. Um, but it's being brought back as an alternative. So, it's a summer alternative to the NFL. Um, why is it interesting? Because it will be made up of a lot of, you know, players who are not good enough for the NFL. Well, the interesting thing is, A, uh, some of the things are going to be very different. The draft actually starts tonight, uh, which is where all the players are picked. And instead of going by just picking any player, it will be done by position. So the first round is quarterbacks. The second round is uh, defensive defensive players and, and, and so on and so on. So I think that's a very interesting prospect. And also... Um, all the coaches and all the players will be given the opportunity to complete uh, full-time education whilst playing 
for that competition, which I think is an amazing thing because a lot of these guys, maybe some of these guys came out of, of school early to play and try their chance in the NFL um, or, you know, want to have the option to play something, uh, you know, to do something that's going to give them a better chance of a, a post-football career. So give them some extra qualifications. And I think that's a really, really cool and different thing to do and something maybe the NFL could think about trying to um, to uh, bring about because, you know, not all these guys make it in the league and it would be awesome for them to have some opportunities when their football career is finished. So, uh, yes, it's not going to be the most interesting league in terms of the quality because uh, there will be lots of rejects, but a very interesting thing and it's something I will definitely be having a look at over the summer. It starts on the 16th of April. So, um, draft starts tonight, but uh, the fun doesn't start to the 16th of April. Ben, what you got going on? Yeah, well, I just want to just uh, repost. <laughs> Love it. Um, the Rock didn't make the NFL, and he's doing all right financially. He's doing very well. In fact, yeah. he opened the NFL, didn't he? He opened the Super so, Bowl, rather. Maybe he's the odd one out, but yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's a big, a big issue for um, players who don't make it to that elite level. Uh, obviously, there's some incredible sport coming up: uh, Premier League, football, that kind of thing. But I've got one. Wo- no, it's not one word. I got three words for you. Four words for you. Murray, Sinner. Do you want to change? Stick, stick or switch? No, I'm it. sticking with four. This is this has not been a good episode for numbers, has it, Dan? <laughs> I'm sticking with four. Touche. Uh, I'm sticking with four. Okay, Murray, Sinner, Amazon Prime. 10 p.m. tomorrow morning. 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. Oh, you know what? That's it. I'm done. But listen, tune in tomorrow morning. Everyone's got Amazon Prime. Get on your goddamn phone. Andy Murray versus Sinner. This is going to be amazing. Uh, we're going to take your word for that then. Uh, all right. Well, because uh... <laughs> any more, any more patronizing of Ben's shitty thing he was talking about. Well, I, I don't think anyone could probably decipher that. It's a bit like an escape room. You've got to try and figure out what Ben was trying to tell us. Like, uh, find out some safe combination. Inside will be some names. Um, there'll be an Amazon Prime delivery. Inside the box yeah. will be some cipher. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Sinner's like. on, on Netflix as well. The Sinner is definitely on Netflix, not yeah, on Amazon. It it's, yeah. it's also not tomorrow morning because you're listening to this podcast. It's, if you listen to this podcast at 9am, which yes. obviously our customers do, it's do you in wanna, an hour. Do you want a redo on any of that? <laughs> no, it's one hour. <laughs> Andy Murray versus uh, the Italian Sinner and uh, great game. Great match ahead. All right, cool. Okay, well, I look forward to hearing about that next week. Um, that does bring us to the end of this Meaty Highlight show. Thank you for bearing with us and joining us again this week as we've uh, regrouped. The band is back together again and what a joy and delight it has been to talk about all these wonderful sports. Don't forget to find us on Twitter and Instagram at when Wednesday pod uh, but all that's left to say for this week is I've been Dan don't you think the Italian sinner sounds like a Da Vinci Code novel by the way I've been yeah. Simon that's how good it's gonna be and I've been it's gonna be a page turner until next week be kind bye bye